you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, when we hear the story um, of Christmas year after year, I think sometimes what happened, we forget that those characters were real people, right? Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, people like you and me, people for whom the coming of Jesus changed everything changed everything. What a wonderful depiction, right, by the actors in the play, the choir. Can we give them thanks, and thanks be to God for their work and the effort they put in. Thank you. It was, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and um, uh, yes, yes, but, but in the time we have left this morning, my hope and prayer, if we can get the house lights up, please, if you don't mind, the house lights up uh, for people to, that's great, thank you. Um, in the time we have left this morning, I, 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 my hope and prayer is that you would see yourself in the characters of Christmas. That you would see yourself. Why? That by seeing, you would realize that if God in Christ could come for them, surely He too has come for you. He has come for you. We begin with Mary. Her life was planned, right? Her future was bright. This teenager engaged to be married. You know, in Jewish custom, um, that period of, of betrothal, the, the time just before a, a wedding day was called the period of betrothal. And, and it was usually a year long. And during this time, the, the, the husband-to-be would actually go and prepare a home, Okay? He would go and prepare a home in which the couple could live um, once they were married. It was an exciting season in Mary's life. Can you picture that? An exciting time in her family's life, the joyful anticipation of her future, and then the angel came, right? And then the angel came, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, and says, Greetings, O favored one. Greetings, O favored one. And just like that, all her plans would change, right? All her plans would change, just like that. A pregnancy out of wedlock. Can you imagine? What would her family say, right? What would the community say? Have you thought about that? She knew the law of Moses. Did you know that in Deuteronomy 22, that the adultery in the period of betrothal was actually considered a sin worthy of death? And Mary knew that. I mean, this is this is huge. This is is, all that she had planned. What would people really believe that she was still a virgin? That 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 this was conceived um, uh, uh, miraculously somehow? And what about Joseph, right? Joseph, the plans they had, the, 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 the wedding, the, the house that they were going to live in, surely he would leave, right? Surely he would leave her. 
I hope you understand what I'm trying to show you is that how much, dear church, would have run through Mary's mind as she received the word of God in Luke chapter 1. And yet, did you notice, the angel does not say, greetings, O ruined one, right? But he says, favored. Favor. And herein lies the contradiction of Christianity, okay? This is the contradiction of Christianity. What do I mean? Some of you come to me and say, you, you, you say that it is the greatest thing in the world, right, to be a Christian. You, you, you say that it is the most favorable thing in the world for me to follow Jesus, but then when I look at my life right now and I see the pleasures I get to enjoy right now, guilt-free, the plans that I've made for my future, how could it be favorable for me to give up all of that and follow Jesus, right? There's the contradiction of Christianity. To, to walk that narrow, hard, um, costly road that you keep talking about. How is that favored? Do you realize how much I'm going to miss out on, right? In this life, how much I will miss if I choose to follow Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I want to sincerely say to you right now that I hear you. And the truth is, for all of those here in this room who have since come to Jesus, we all can relate to that, that impulse, right? Worrying that, 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 that we're really going to miss out on so much in this life. But if I can pose a question to you gently, I, I, I believe there is a greater question that many of us fail to ask and even answer. What is it? Not how much will I miss out on if I choose to follow Jesus. The question is, how much will you miss out on if you don't? Have you done that math? Have you? If you don't have him, have you, have you sat down to, to count the cost of a life lived without God? Uh, what, what, what would that look like? At best, 75 years, right? The cost of seven, spending 75 years is life expectancy average for a Canadian male here in Canada, right? So um, the cost of spending 75 years on this earth, hopelessly trying to fill a void that will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Only to end up dying and then spending eternity separated from the grace of God. Have you really done that math? How much you will miss out on. Do you realize that's what that word in verse 28 actually means? When he says, greetings, O favored one, that word favor actually means grace. Friends, Mary was the recipient of the undeserved, unmerited grace of God. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, so what? Grace of God, right? So what? Grace of God. What does that even do? What does that even mean to me? And the angel spells it out for us at the end of verse 28. Here's what it means, church. It means the Lord is with you. That's what it means. That's what the grace of God means to you and me. 
But the Lord, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Mary did not receive a mere gift. She received the giver. God. The Lord God with her. Can you imagine? This is what the grace of God gets you. A relationship with God himself. Can you imagine anything greater in the universe than to have God with you? To, to, to enjoy Him forever? Just think about that. As amazing as Mary could have planned her wedding, right? And, and weddings can be planned quite, quite amazingly. But as amazing as she could have planned her wedding or could have planned her home or as amazing as you, have, you, you think your own plans are for your life this morning, could any of those plans even compare to this? To this? Do you think she regrets it? Do you think she has any regret? What day is it today? December 18th? 2022, right? Do you realize it's been 2,000 years since Mary received the grace of God? 2,000 years have passed since that promise was given to her. But do you realize that those words are still true to this day? Like, like right now in heaven, the Lord is still with her? her soul magnifying the Lord, her, her spirit rejoicing in God, her Savior, regret? Do you really think, church, that after 2,000 years of crunching those numbers, that she, Mary, has had even the slightest regret for placing her trust in God? And the answer is no. No. Because to have Emmanuel... To have God with us is so much greater, infinitely greater than your plans could ever be. And Mary knew. She knew. I wish we'd stop asking her, Mary, did you know? Right? The carol we sing? She knew. She knew. Do you? Do you? Which brings us to Joseph. You saw Joseph being depicted here. Uh, the wrong Joseph, it seems, with the costume. Anyways, um, but Joseph um, was a man preparing a home, right? Prepare this is the betrothal period, so think about it. He's preparing a home for his bride-to-be only to learn what? That she is pregnant and the child is not his. And can I take a second and just ask you, how would you feel? How would you feel? Heartbroken? Right? Can we place ourselves in his shoes for a moment? Um, angry? Um, betrayed? Uh, confused? Right? All of the above? You know, as, as I was preparing this message and I came to Joseph, I really had to pause and dwell here on this verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. If you look at this, look at the end there, that he resolved to divorce her Quietly. You know, sometimes I think we gloss over the Christmas narrative, right? We just read these verses very quickly and we don't really sit and think about it. But, but you know, as I sat on that verse, the word resolved, what does that mean? He came to a decision, right? Like, what does it take to come to a decision? How much must have gone through his mind to come to the decision to divorce Mary? The thoughts he must have wrestled with, right? 
The thoughts he must have struggled with, his bride-to-be is now pregnant. What sadness must he have felt, right? What anxiety he must have felt as he was, as he was thinking, what do I do now? I'm making this house, we have, we're, we're, we, the wedding date is set, and now I found, what, what anxiety he would have felt trying to know what he is to do. We know he's not a man of revenge, right? If you look at verse 19, what does Matthew tell us? He was a just man, okay? So he wasn't a vindictive man. He wasn't going to take revenge on Mary. But, but I hope you see the two sides of the coin, right? The two things pulling at him. On the one hand, he's unwilling to put her to public shame, right? Why? Because we learned earlier, she would have been put to death. Right, so, so, so he doesn't want to do that. On the other hand, he, he, he's unable to take her as his wife in light of what has happened. Do you see the, the tension, the pull? What a miserable position for him to be in. And you know, there are some of you here today who I think, I believe, um, for you, Christmas does not come as a welcome guest, if we're honest. Some of you here and many outside these four walls, Christmas does not come as a welcome guest. You're here today, you're smiling, right? You've put on a brave face, but no one knows the tears that you shed when you're on your own. No one knows the anxious thoughts that keep you up at night as you lie in bed, right? And as you're here this morning and you're witnessing this play and you're probably thinking to yourself, well, well, what does the coming of Jesus mean for me, right? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for Joseph's like me? Well, the answer is hope. The answer is hope. And I want you to see this as, as Matthew continues, verse 20. As he considered these things, verse 20, God gives his word, his message of hope to Joseph. Look at this. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not what? Fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But that's not all. I want you to see what happens next. In verse 21, he goes on. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he is going to save his people from their sins. Hope. This is the message of hope that was given to Joseph. Do you realize, church, that the answer the angel gave was not, don't worry, Joseph, you're going to have a happy life with your wife. That's not the answer, right? As if that was his greatest need. It wasn't. What was his greatest need? His greatest need was to be saved. And the follow-up question you have for me is, saved from what, right? From what do I need to be saved? And the answer Matthew gives us in verse 21 is, from sins from sin, the dishonoring of parents, anger towards another, lustful thoughts, stealing, lying, coveting. That's just six of the Ten Commandments, okay? 
Those, those are just the ones that have to do with your duty towards a fellow man. What about leave alone your duty towards God, right? Commandments 1 through 4, placing another before God. The idols that we worship in our lives, the misuse of His holy name, the, the, the neglect of His holy Sabbath day. What am I trying to say, friends? Sin upon sin upon sin. Do you realize this is who we are? Sinners. Sinners who are separated from a sinless God. And that's why we get this message of hope. The hope of the ages that we sang about, right? The hope of the ages is this, that your guilty conscience and the weight of God's law is nev was never meant to drive you to despair, but to drive you to Christ. To Christ, who died to save you from sin and rose again that you might have life. This is the hope proclaimed to Joseph and to you and to you. Which leads us to the wise men. The wise men. You know, long before um, Galileo invented the first telescope pointed to space, okay, 1609. Long before that, Matthew chapter 2 tells us of the wise men, okay? The wise men who studied the skies with their own eyes, right? Without the aid of any of our modern technology, studying the skies, observing the, the, the movements of the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Studying carefully, noting each of their orbits and, and each of their patterns so that when one peculiar star, a new star, rose in the east, they recognized right away. They knew. They knew. The, these wise men uh, were wise, okay? The man, the, the, these men were wise. Did you know they even knew the Old Testament? Uh, you're probably thinking, why is that remarkable? They're not Jewish, Right? The Bible tells us that these men actually came from the, from the east. Okay? So scholars say it could be as far east as Babylon or to modern-day Iraq. So they were not Jewish people. They had no reason to have to know the Old Testament, and yet that's how well-studied these men were. Why do I say that? Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, they asked this question, where is he who was born, who has been born king of the Jews? And then do you notice, I don't know if you caught this, we saw his star. Now, that's an odd way to speak, right? His, like, where do they get that from? Calling a star his. Well, as it turns out in the Old Testament, that is a prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. They knew this, that a star shall come out of Jacob. They knew. They knew this illusion. These were the wise men whose lives were changed by a star. You know, I always find um, I learn a lot of interesting things, okay? When I'm, when I'm preparing for a sermon, it's different. You, you, just, you study in a different way, and you learn some interesting things. Did you know that there are a lot of scholars out there who try to um, find a natural explanation for the star, okay? Like, they, they try, to, try to dismiss it as actually it's a natural phenomenon. What do I mean? Like, it must have been a comet that was, that was shooting through the sky. That was the star. Others say, you know, perhaps, perhaps it was a supernova, like an explosion of a star in space. And that's what the wise men saw. 
Still others say, well, well perhaps it is, you know, you know, when two stars align, right, or two planets align, it's called a planetary conjunction. I don't know. I'm learning this stuff with you, okay? Um, and and, and, and the, when, when they align, the, the, the light is brighter, right? So some people say, well, maybe it's that. There's so many attempts to try to explain away the star, but a plain reading of Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 shows us that this was no ordinary star. Why do I say that? What star do you know would come to rest precisely over the place where a child was born? Not even a place. Actually, in verse 11, we learn a house where the child was born. What am I trying to say, church? This was not a star following the laws of nature, okay? This, this was not a star subject to the forces of gravity. This was a star that obeyed the Creator God. This was the, this, whose power and wisdom far exceeded all these wise men thought they knew. And so they were humbled. They were humbled. As they, as they saw with their own eyes the undeniable light of God westward leading until verse 11, verse 11, Matthew 11, 2, 11. They enter the house, they saw the child, and what do they do? They fall to the ground, face down in humility, and worshiped, right? And worshiped. I don't want you to miss the significance of this. Do you realize they did not yet fully know who this child was? but they knew enough to worship, right? They knew enough to worship. Friends, as we pursue knowledge, do you know that we live in the information age? Do you know that? Do you, like, you can access more information from that rectangle in your pocket than most people could in all of human history. Do you realize that? We live in the information age, and it's good. It's a good thing. I, I, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, we should pursue knowledge, but as we do, may our knowledge not puff us up with pride. With, with the pro, with, like so many in our world today, the pride that causes them to scoff at the supernatural which causes them to scoff at a, at a child in a manger. But instead, as the wise men did before us, let us open our eyes, see the signs, see the miracles, see the wonders God has done. Why? To point us to Jesus, before whom all your titles, all your degrees are brought to nothing. To nothing. As you fall before him humbly and worship the one who is worthy. The one who is worthy. Which brings us to the last, okay? The last character that we saw, the shepherds. Okay, the shepherds. Um, as we learned last week, Pastor Dave was here, right? For those of you who are here, and um, he told us about the shepherds. It was, it was an occupation. Being a shepherd was a role that was much honored in biblical history. Okay, that's what we learned last Sunday, right? I mean, the patriarchs of the people of God, the people of Israel, all their ancestors were shepherds. 
The, the great king of Israel, King David, what was he? A shepherd. Of course, Jesus, when he came on the scene, what, what did he say? I am the good shepherd. Shepherd. This is how God gave honor to the role of shepherds. However, um, history tells us that even though this is how God honored shepherds, society was not so kind. Okay? Society was not so kind to shepherds. Why? Um, sheep are dumb. You guys know that? Sheep are, I'm not referring to the animals on the stage, okay? They are lovely. I love them. Every child is precious. But literal sheep are quite dumb. Um, you can't take a weekend off when you're watching sheep, right? Because they'd probably end up dying, really. So, so this is a 24-7, seven days a week job being a shepherd. And so what that meant is that shepherds were regularly having to miss the Sabbath day. Remember, God commanded seven, seventh day, you should rest, you should, it's a holy day. But because of the nature of their work, actually, it became the, the reality that, that some of them had to miss the Sabbath day. And so there became this reputation among shepherds that, or, or of shepherds that they were considered by the people to be outcasts, to be unclean. Unclean, always disobeying the laws of God, unclean, outcast, unwelcome people who did not belong. They didn't belong with the people of God. That's, what, that's how society saw them. As, as our brother Ashton rightly said, there came a time in history where they were so belittled, shepherds, that their testimony in court was not even accepted. Can you imagine? The testimony of a shepherd was not considered reliable. This is how the world viewed shepherds. And now I want you to follow me for a minute, okay? If I'm God, okay, just, just follow this for a second. And I want to announce to the world the coming of my son, right? The savior of the world. If I want to announce that to the world and get that, get that news to be viral, right? I want it to spread. I want all the nations to hear this great news. I got to be honest with you. If I'm God, shepherds would be just about the last people on earth that I would choose. Right? The last people on earth I would choose. And yet, aren't you grateful I'm not God? Amen. And yet, it is the outcasts, the ones who do not belong, the people without a voice, that God gives the gospel, that our God gives the gospel. Isn't that precious? Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all the people. And I love this. Look at verse 11. For unto who? You is born this day in the city of David, a, a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Church, how I love what the angel says. It is unto you. This is not just good news for unto all people. It is unto you. You who feel like an outcast. You who feel you do not belong. You to whom no one else will listen. It is unto you that Jesus has come. Isn't that amazing? 
unto you. A bunch of nobodies, right? Isn't that who we are? Church, be honest, right? We look great today. We're all dressed up. We're a bunch of nobodies. A bunch of nobodies given a place to belong in his kingdom. Why? Only because we were welcomed in by the king himself. By the king himself. As that video showed us, what a beautiful video. Your life is given purpose. Doesn't matter what your social circumstances are, doesn't matter what your demographics are, your life is given purpose. And your voice that no one else might listen to, people may dismiss you and walk past you all day long, your voice gains a message worth sharing. A message worth sharing. And that's what the shepherds did. They made known to everyone the good news, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It is unto you. Unto you. I want to close here. Um, do you see, dear church, that the characters of Christmas are not unlike you and me? They're not so different. I think sometimes we mythologize these characters, Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds. We put nativity scenes. We do all this. But they were people not so different than you and me whose lives were changed by the coming of Jesus. And I'd like to conclude with a verse that our director, Jason, what a great job, great job, Jason, um, that our director, Jason, alluded to in his final scene, okay, a verse that he alluded to. So after the shepherds received that announcement that we, that we talked about, right, he, they got the, the announcement, Luke describes this remarkable thing that happens, and this is where we'll close, okay? So it's, on, it's in Luke 2, 13 and 14, okay? Luke 2, 13 and 14. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude. Just picture this in your mind, okay? Picture this. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, what do they say? Verse 14, glory to God in the highest. You know the song we sing? Uh, Gloria, glory in excelsis Deo. This is what it means. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Here's what I want to leave with you, okay? This is the last thought. That word host in verse 13, you know it says heavenly host, all these angels, right? This, this multitude. It turns out that word is actually a military term, all right? It's a military, like it's meant to convey, it's actually referring to an army. It's referring to an army, so, so what I want you to, to, to picture now is this is not just a bunch of angels. Sometimes we think, okay, it's a choir of angels. They're just singing. They're wearing the you know, Philadelphia cream cheese commercials, right, the, uh, with the wings. And this is an army, an angelic army coming towards you, and they have something to say. And I've got to be honest with you. If you can picture an army coming towards you with something to tell you, the first thing that comes to my mind is they're here to declare what? War right? An army coming towards you, they're not coming to, to discuss pleasantries. They're coming to declare war. I'm a sinner. He is without sin. This is war. And friends, let me tell you something. If that was the case, if that was the end of the story and this was war and, and God's on one side and we are on the other side, can I tell you something? This thing only ends one way. It only ends one way. Our death. Our death. 
But isn't it the glory of the gospel church? That though indeed we were at war, we were at war, sinners against a sinless God, and though indeed we were destined to perish, that's true, God still does not send His army to declare war. He sends His army to declare peace. Peace through His Son, Jesus for those with whom he is pleased, for those of you who will cease your fighting, lay down your weapons and surrender. Repent of sin and believe. To you there is peace because of what Jesus has done. Peace with God. Beloved, this is the peace that we pray each one of us will know this Christmas, the peace that came to those long ago, the very peace that is still available to you and me today in Christ. All glory to God. All glory to God. Let's pray. Father, I, we are in awe. Oh God, as we reflect on just what the coming of Jesus means to each one of us, Oh, Lord, forgive us for the times that we have read this Christmas story and just glossed over it, just fitted in with the Christmas tree and the lights and everything else that this secularization of Christmas would tell us to do. Forgive us, because this was a message of hope, that though we were at war, you have not come to fight us. You have come to announce peace in Christ for those who will repent and believe. Oh Lord, I know it's true that those who choose to refuse and they have those who choose to refuse, Lord, will remain at war with you, the God of the universe. But God, this morning in your, in your common grace, we're still here and there's still time for any of us who will call on the name of the Lord to be saved, to be saved, to receive that grace, to receive you, God with us, our Emmanuel. We thank you. We rejoice in this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.